Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build their businesses. And on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have their own hands on the marketing levers as they grow and develop their venture. If you are one or more of the above, and chances are you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show, or you can click the big button in the right-hand column of our website. Every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. Make sure to subscribe. Fresh content every Tuesday and over 170 episodes of content on a variety of topics await your immediate download and perusal. Today... I am very excited to have on board somebody who I've had the opportunity to get to know over the past few months. Listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show may remember our announcement that I was featured in a book called Journeys to Success, the Millennial Edition. I was Chapter 13. This book is an international Amazon bestseller. It's gotten us a fair amount of very positive attention. And what was very exciting about that book was my opportunity to tell a story from my childhood about the difference between the amount of information and resources for fact-finding and fact-checking that are available to somebody coming up in the world now versus what was available to me back in the 1980s and 1990s and how that could have impacted my life trajectory. The fact is we deal with what we have, but it just goes to show how much we have today right at our fingertips. What we're going to get into here is called scaling up the four critical decisions facing your organization. And to share that with you today, I have on board Kirk Holmes. Now, Kirk, affectionately known as Captain Kirk, due to his love of Star Trek, which is something that he and I have in common, has been called a creative genius who thinks outside the box and is currently, among his many other ventures, director of digital marketing at Venture Catalyst. He serves a variety of clients from nonprofits to distributors and professional services firms. And as I mentioned before, he's one of my fellow best-selling authors in Journey to Success, the Millennial Edition. He has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Finance and serves on the local board for West Care, Nevada, and is a proud member of another awesome organization, the Las Vegas Rotary Club. So, Kirk, welcome aboard. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. I know we've been looking forward to this for a few weeks now, and you and I have had several great conversations just around the, the new year here and everything about some things that are happening um, in the Las Vegas economy and around the country. Uh, before we get into some of those things and where what some of the trends that are going on are important to consultants, uh, for those of our listeners who haven't had a chance to get to know you yet, maybe those who haven't purchased the Journey to Success book, and those who uh, are just now researching Kirk Holmes to find out who he is. Just tell us a little bit about your background and your journey that's brought you to where you are now at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, um, gosh, that's a pretty loaded question. Uh, Without giving away my entire chapter, which uh, is uh, chapter, I believe, 19 in the book, um, you know, for me – yeah, I've had a I've had a lot of ups and downs, um, like most of us have. Uh, my my personal downfall, um, which I believe turned I believe I've turned into an asset, was uh, someone who recovered from uh, drug and alcohol addiction and was homeless, living in, behind a shed at 21. Um, with wow. uh, as my father would say, uh, without a, a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Um, <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now I'm a uh, I'm a, an author, a patented inventor, and a uh, well-respected member of society, and it wasn't easy. Um, and I actually didn't want to write that chapter in the book because I didn't want to be stereotyped as the guy who got sober. Um, but it, it's been my experience meeting other people that have gone down a similar uh, path in life that it's important to share our our mistakes and our journeys because there's a lot of other people out there who may find inspiration or may find out that 
you know what, if he did it, I can do it too, um, and, and change their lives around for the better. That's very true. And, you know, what I've discovered is, uh, and this is something that was told to me a long time ago, and I've really come to believe it just through my own journey and seeing how other people become successful. In order for people to believe you're clean, they got to see your dirt. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and unfortunately, there's still a, a, a very big stigma in society with people um, that, you know, may have um, – you know, been homeless or may have suffered from some form of addiction or alcoholism or may have had a business failure, you know, and, and I think that we as a society, I mean, you know, one of my responsibilities is to shine a light on, you know what, we all make mistakes, um, and it's not what mistakes that we have that define us, it's what we do after we've fallen that defines us. Um, and I think that we as a society have the ability, you know, your chapter, my chapter, and all the books and all the chapters in our book, you know, go to say, you know what, you may scrub, you may fall down, but we get back up. And you can get back up too. And don't let your mistakes and your failures define you. Um, make your successes in, in despite those failures define you. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of answering the first question I was going to ask, which is perfectly great, and I love when that happens here on Business Creators Radio Show, because it just shows the amount of brilliance and passion we have to offer to our listeners. Uh, you know, what you just said reminds me of something from my own history. Uh, go back maybe about three or four years, and I had been in a relationship, and then that relationship came to an end, and let's just say, without getting into any details, most of which I don't want to review anyway, uh, it was just ugly. And there I was, I was so afraid. What if people find out that I'm in the middle of a really ugly breakup? And what if they find out that, uh, that I'm not completely the innocent party here? And what if they find out that, that uh, there's someone out there who doesn't like me? And what if they find out this? And what if she says that? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So tentatively and as necessary, I started confiding what was going on to some of my top clients, some of my top business allies, uh, just in case something weird showed up on my social media uh, when in the middle of the night when I wasn't able to delete it or react to it quickly enough. And so they would already have the context of the lies that they were about to read. And the message I got from every single person that I brought this to in confidence was, hey, welcome to the club, pal. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I there remember. you go. I mean. I, I remember the, the first uh, dance I went to um, clean and sober, and I was so scared. Like, I mean, like, I'm, I mean, you know, white kids can't dance, and I am snow white, you know, and like, <laughs> the, you know, the, that, that awkward feeling of like, okay, everybody's staring at me. You know, come to find out, everybody's staring at everybody else because nobody knows how to dance, and really nobody's going to be going back and saying, hey, you remember last year at that dance, that, that one guy, that white guy that was wearing the Star Trek socks who, like, kind of <laughs> couldn't dance? I mean, nobody cares. I mean, and that was the, one of the biggest hurdles that I've had to overcome that's really helped me in my business life is that, you know what, you, if you're true to yourself and you're doing the right thing and doing for, the right thing for the right reasons, your mistakes – People aren't going to hold against you. You're actually going to gain friendships and gain relationships by being transparent and honest and vulnerable with the people in your network. Yeah, that's that's one of my discoveries is that if you worry so much about what your highlight reel looks like, I mean, yeah, you want to put out the best pictures of yourself, the ones that show you winning, not losing, the ones that uh, show you successful, not failing. But at the same time, when people get a sense of who you are as a human being and they see that, wow, you go through some of the same stuff as everybody else does, it makes you more relatable to your audience and it makes people more likely to want to engage with you on a longer-term basis is just what I've discovered. You know, Being around celebrities myself over the past seven or eight years, I've discovered two things about them. They deal with the same day-to-day -day crap as everybody else does, number one, and number two – they really don't want to hear about what a great singer they are, what a great actor they are, what about a great author they are, or anything like that, because they hear it all day long. 
In fact, they yep. don't even want to talk about their music, their acting, their writing, or anything like that in social situations because they're counting on the people in their social situations to just be cool, basically. They don't want to be fawned upon. They don't want to be you know, nitpicked with 20 questions. They just want to talk about football, if you get my drift. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we all put our pants on the same – well, if if you wear pants, you know, if you wear a skirt or a kilt, you know, it might be a little different. But, you know, one one leg at a time, you know. And I think that that's also been one of the good life lessons that I've had that you've just really hit home on is, you know, people just want to be treated like people. I mean, right. they don't want to be treated but differently because of their title um, they just want to be treated just like everyone else. I mean, and that was one of the, I was blessed. That was one of the skills or, or not even necessarily skills, but, you know, um, values that was instilled with, into me by my parents who were, you know, both Navy officers is, you know, pretty high ranking too, is the first thing they did anytime they got to a new duty station was find and get and befriend the janitor and treat him just like yeah. he would, they would treat the admiral. Um, and you know what? By doing that, when something needed to get done, they had the rapport with the people that actually were responsible to get it done, and that always made them look really well and move up the ranks quickly. Yeah. You know, you know what's funny is you mentioned that, too, is one of the things that you and I have been able to connect over the past few months, aside from being co-authors in the same book, is we have both have a love of cigars, and we like to visit cigar shops and be involved in cigar culture. And what really attracted me to that when I first got involved in it going on 17 years ago is kind of exactly what you said. Uh, maybe by day you're a janitor, maybe you're a bus driver, maybe you're a CEO, maybe you're a CFO, maybe you're a million-dollar entrepreneur, maybe you're somebody who just filed bankruptcy, whatever. But when you go into the cigar shop and you get involved in the community, you're the same as everybody else. It doesn't – I mean, you could be sitting next to – and, you know, this has happened to people. They find themselves in the cigar shop. They're sitting next to Larry Wingett, who's well-known to hang out in cigar shops. You just never know who's hanging out there at any given time. And what's great about the culture is no matter who you are, you're treated with the same amount of respect and as somebody who has – proportionally the same amount of value to bring in their own way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I have countless stories of, you know, smoking cigars. I mean, I've had, I mean, I was sitting down uh, smoking cigars with a friend of mine and the owner of a couple of the casinos um, walked in and started sitting down and we just started shooting the breeze. And now I have the privilege and honor of calling him a friend of mine. Um, you know, it's, Right. And and the reason why I didn't fawn over him, I was like, "What are you smoking? Um, oh, do you like that? What are your? You know, we we created a rapport outside of business, just you know, on a personal level, um, you know. And and as we've talked, you know, when we were smoking cigars, that's one of the things that have led to our success is is connecting with people on an individual level, you know. Um, right. Most of the deals that and most of the relationships that end up becoming you know business deals. You know, we spend more time talking about family and the dog and the girlfriend or the wife um, or what they cooked <laughs> for dinner or what trip they took um, than business. Right. Yeah. So what, we've, what we're finding here is just that people pretty much are who they are, and some of your greatest business relationships are just founded on the idea of somebody you can have a regular conversation with. So what I'd like to do now, if if we can, is I'd like to shift this a little bit to the business side of what we need to discuss and going to what consultants deal with, because what we're looking to cover here is the five keys to success that most consultants completely miss. So uh, let's start out with this. We hear a lot about managing growth in companies and organizations, but who is actually doing the managing? Well, in many cases, um, with, well, I'm not going to say all the clients, and I'm not even going to say most, but with um, some of the clients that have the largest potential, in my case, um, no one's managing growth. Um, you okay. know, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's four real big keys that we, well, we and, and our firm kind of look at, you know, and one of which is, is um, people. The other is strategy. And then you have execution and you have cash. And when you get all four of those 
seamlessly moving in the in the right direction, the same direction. I mean, we see explosive growth, um, and it's and it's happened time and time again with the clients we've worked with. You know, getting the right people in the right seats, having a right a, a proper strategy. And then being able to execute that strategy and then having the cash available in order to execute that strategy with the right people in the right seats. Um, so, I mean, that's been my experience so far. What about you? Oh, as far as, as, far as what my experiences are, wow, it's being turned around on me. This doesn't happen very often. Oh, I'm really enjoying <laughs> this. All right. So uh, in terms of what's managing growth in companies and organizations, um, what I have found in my personal experience in business for myself and with some of the clients that I've dealt with is it seems like the trap that keeps coming up, whether it's a trap, whether it's a benefit, whatever it is, is that it's the customers who end up doing the managing as far as growth. Because what we see is uh, companies that become inordinately married to their customers' willingness to invest more, their customers' ability to grow themselves, especially when we're dealing with consulting. Uh, if the customer themselves is not ready to really grow, I mean, you can consult and coach and mentor all you want, but that's just like bringing the proverbial horse to water. You can't force the horse to drink. And if the horse is not thirsty, if the horse is not ready to gallop, then that's going to impact your growth because you're not going to get the same success stories. You're not going to get the same results that you'll be able to translate to other areas of your consulting firm. That's my experience. Uh, that, that, that's been ours too. You know, people keep on going to the same, you know, it's, you know, being involved in some nonprofits, you know, I've done a lot of fundraising and, you know, there's a, you can't, there's a, if I remember this story correctly, uh, one of the nonprofits I've been involved, I've been privileged to be involved with um, was doing a big fundraising campaign. And so they were, you know, everybody on the board was out reaching, reaching out to their networks, asking for donations. Right. Um, and the, the, the CEO reached out to his network and a very, very influential large bank account uh, donor called him into his office and said, um, so what do you need? And he, and basically, long story short, he ended up, the conversation turned out where he handed him a spoon and he's like, well, we need a little bit more than a spoon. He's like, well, I got a con I got an email and letter from one of the people involved in your organization, and they said they needed help with getting raising funds for a kitchen. And now you're coming to me as well, asking for funds to build the kitchen. Um, you guys didn't get your your act together. You know, you got to divide and conquer, and make sure you're not asking and going to the same pool time and time and time and time again asking for donations right. from the same group of people. Um, and I see that a lot of organizations that I've worked with in the past, not so much now, suffer from that. But I also wanted to talk, you know, you talk about managing growth. You know, there's a, there's a, everybody always thinks that managing growth is when you're trying to build a business and, and grow your business. I also, and, you know, and not growing as fast as you would like is, is, a, is, a, is the problem. But, you know, one of the things that we're finding or we're doing is we are intentionally managing and reducing our growth. And I think that that's one of the things right. that a lot of businesses oversee and overlook is, you know, if you're a starting business, one of the, you know, I believe the old adage is more companies fail due to indigestion rather than starvation. And I'm paraphrasing there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, a growing business and you've got too many clients or you're growing too fast, that can be worse than growing slowly and steadily um, because right. you'll suffer from indigestion. You're going you're gonna to drop the ball on a big client and they're going to leave a negative review online or they're going to you know, open their mouth to their network and share their experience and it could kill you and your business. So one of the things that we're here at uh, Venture Titus is doing is is being really, really careful about who we bring on as a client because we don't want to scale too quickly. We want to make sure that we are able to service the clients and the prospective clients that we're bringing to the table um, because we'd rather keep our relationships than have a million dollars in the bank. You know, I love when you said that. And listeners to this show have probably heard me say 
a few times over the past year about my experiences that I dealt with right around the end of 2015. I was in a situation where even though I thought I had planned this all perfectly, just things kind of came together where beginning at beginning right around November 1st, 2015, all of a sudden so many things went live project-wise. Uh, some things we'd booked actually earlier in the year, some things that finally came together after us having to do some nudging and some coaching. And I found myself in a situation where, you know, don't get me wrong, I actually loved all the clients. I believed in all the projects. I believed in all the offers. But I'm looking at this, like, is this really what I want to do 16 hours a day? And that was the problem. Mm. It was so much build up at once. Now, I already hear people in the audience saying those three words, build a team. Well, I'm not going to get into the challenges I've had with that. Uh, maybe because I was in a business model that really wasn't scalable in quite that way, which turned out to be pretty much a fact. And maybe it's just the nature of what I was trying to outsource. Maybe it was something in how I was doing it. Maybe it was something in who I was engaging. I think I was dealing with a lot of good, well-intentioned people who have a lot of brilliance and a lot of passion to bring to the table. I was just finding myself in a situation that this is just too much. This is growing too fast. That's what happened. It grew too fast, and the management piece kind of just flew off the rails. So I spent, oh, about the next five or six weeks uh, chasing tails day in and day out to keep all these projects alive. I had to cancel a vacation. I had to cancel plans to be at two different conferences. I had to cancel myself being interviewed on other people's podcasts. I had to go through so much to bring all these projects home successfully. And it was kind of that same thing. Like, this grew too fast. And by the time I was done with it, I was seriously asking the question, is this what I want to do when I grow up? So you got burned out. I got burned out. And, uh, yep. and I, what, I, what I was so worried about through that whole process was I really don't want to let anybody down. I love all these clients. I so believe in what they're doing. I want them to have amazing launches and amazing campaigns. But, man, this is just too much. And it took everything mm -hmm. out of me. Then yeah. it, was that, it was that same thing. It was that same thing. Uh, because I valued the relationship so much is what made it particularly a struggle for me. Because many people in my same situation might have said, well, you know what? The, we're going to take the two clients that we really don't care as much about, and we're going to dump them off on somebody and just put our name on somebody else's work. Or we're going to increase our outsourcing to 90% of this. Or we're just going to do them all the exact same way and just put their own names on it rather than make it unique. There's many shortcuts we could have taken. I refuse to take any of them because I just have too much integrity around that. Well, you know, you're having interacted with and worked with several other marketing firms, you know, it's it's a it's nice to hear that there are other ethical business owners out there that the client relationship and client success must come first, regardless of person, per, your, you know, what's going on within its, you know, you personally. Um, you right. know, because unfortunately, not a lot of businesses, you know, I've, I personally believe that money is not the driver. Money is the result of good work done. And you know what? If I, any, and it's happened to me time and time again, you know, when I focus on the dollar, I end up, it slips between my fingertips. But when I focus on doing the right thing for the right reasons, the money always invariably comes and, and comes in, in quantities larger than I anticipated. Funny how that works when you just change your, hmm. change your focus. Just weird, weird, yep. how, weird how that is. And I found that when I've had the greatest, uh, I found myself on the greatest traje trajectories towards success in my business. Here's a little... Here's something interesting before we move on to the next thing because this interview is just flying by and I want to make sure we get to everything we want to cover. So let me tell you one other thing. Is I found myself in places where I was in a position to transition to my, my business 
to the new thing that I wanted to do, whether it was higher level consulting or exploring this new niche where I was getting a lot of great leads and relationships or what have you. But the results and the new money weren't coming fast enough. So here's what happens. One of these familiar opportunities, this thing I really don't want to do anymore, but it's quote unquote easy and they're willing to pay right now. I say, sure, I'll take your $2,000. And then I very quickly get reminded why the hell I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, uh, and when it, when it ended up happening, it was like one step forward, three steps back. Yep. When I got smart about it, it was when I recognized uh, I, I was on another growth trajectory about six months ago, and uh, things weren't quite happening with the cash flow the way I was expecting. And then, you know, the siren song comes again. Is why don't you, would you like to get involved in this project? And they even knew it's something I didn't want to do anymore. I said, you know, it's, and we know you're moving on from this, but you're just so good at it. I said, sorry, I can't. I can't. I, I, I need to leave this behind. Uh, I want you to come with me on the journey I'm on now, and I want to be of service to you in other ways, but this is just going to be a direct impediment. And it was about a, a $5,000 gig I just said no to outright. Uh, you know, no matter who you are, you can do something with $5,000. That can, that can take care of a lot of problems. But the bigger problem would have been if I had taken that on because it would have interfered with the other things that are going to lead me to six digits. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and you just kind of hit in, you know, that goes back to knowing your, you know, from a business perspective, knowing your cash flow, you know, and there's been a couple of clients where we've done digital marketing for, uh, one, and I'm kind of tying it into that uh, realm, where, you know, they right. were a very, very large pool parts supply company, um, one of the oldest online. And, you know, I was looking at all of their traffic once we finally got their analytics set up properly, and they're, they were getting the majority of their sales were coming from Google, uh, and they were doing nothing but organic, and they were right. doing like thirty to fifty thousand a month. But their conversion uh -huh. rates were the highest in Yahoo and Bing, and yet they had done nothing to optimize those channels. And so, literally, by just knowing and looking at that data, um, we were able to make some tweaks to their website. For, so that way they would more products would rank and they would rank higher on Yahoo and Bing. And then basically what they were paying us, they got back like threefold. But that was because we were able to see, you know, all right, well, this is where we may be making big chunks of money over here, but we have the biggest opportunity to make money over there. And making that, you know, and, and understanding your your market, understanding your financials, so that and or your or your web traffic, or you know your conversion rates on social versus organic versus paid, you know, knowing that whole entire ecosystem and taking a step back and looking at it, and looking at it, not only the big data but also the small data. I mean, you can make small pivots in your business that are scary because they're uncomfortable but make massive amounts of money or traction in your market. Yeah, this kind of moves on to our next thing here. Uh, and we've covered a couple things that could lead to this. But in your experience, Kirk, what keeps so many companies stuck at their current levels, seemingly unable to grow, except for you know the annual cost of living increase, where they raise the rates on their clients five percent or you know whatever in the marketplace gets them just a little bit more to make the car payments? So what keeps these companies stuck at their current level where they're not really moving up? Um, you know, it's been my experience that cash is one of them. You know, as we kind of alluded to already. Um, the other one, I think that a lot of consulting companies um, don't fire clients often enough, um, uh -huh. and that's a scary spot to be. But when you take the time to look at how much time you're spending on each of your clients um, and all of your clients collectively, typically what you'll find is you're probably losing money um, on a group of your clients. You know, you're over-servicing them or, you know, they're – you know, they're not paying, you're spending way too much time than they are paying you for. Now, in some instances, that's good. Um, we have a couple of clients that, you know, we believe in what they do because they may be a nonprofit or they may be a close friend or, you know what, we're coaching them and they are following our suggestions and they're on a, a, a positive trajectory. Um, but you know what, if a client stays in that, you know, losing 
category for too long, um, you know, we'll let them go. And, and it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's, you know, on our end and it's not a bad thing on, on their end. It's just not a culture fit. You know, we just aren't, we're not the right firm for them and they're not the right client for us. You know, and what we'll do is we'll suggest other firms that may be a better fit for them. Um, but by doing that, right. we've seen, you know, morale go up. Um, internally, we've seen revenues go up because we're we're spending our time where it's going to generate the best results. But um, I think that's one important key. What about what are some of your experiences so far? Well, um, I think that I, I covered one of them, which is the client just refuses to grow. Uh, I think another one uh, goes back to what I said about you're ready to move forward, but you hear that siren song and you take on that project that actually, although the money may be good and it may be quote-unquote easy, it's actually just getting in the way of you getting more of what you really want. I, I love this. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been in a situation before where – I don't think I've ever been in a situation before where my phone has rung while I was in the middle of doing the interview. <laughs> this happens to us all sometimes. So, um, but, uh, but, but, but the fact is um, another thing we want to look at here is – you know, what keeps companies growth stuck at their annual level or their current level? I think another thing we're, we have is that they are so focused on doing things the way it's always been done. And yeah. every time I'm inside a company, whether it's someone I'm consulting with or and even back in the days when I used to be a, pay, a paycheck person uh, working for another company, whenever I heard the phrase, well, that's how we've always, always done it. Even when I was 23 years old, uh, wet behind the ears, even back then I knew enough to say, you know, out loud, and I probably should have said this myself, but too bad, just who I am. <laughs> I, uh, I said, yeah, all that, all, that, all that really shows is that despite you having it done that way up until now, you've somehow managed to survive. That's the only thing you've mm. proven here. That doesn't in itself demonstrate any form of, success trajectory or any form of strategy that's going to move your company forward. It tells me absolutely nothing. It just says that uh, you figured out. Here, here's, here's a story I love to tell when it comes to that. Uh, I can't remember what TV show this was on, but, uh, but the guy said that uh, you know, you know, his wife was cooking a roast, and he noticed that his wife was cutting off the ends of the roast, like the two ends before she before she 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 broiled it or baked it. And he asked her why, and she said, "Well, you know, when I cut off the ends, it makes it juicier, the flavor comes through, and it makes for a better roast." My mother taught me that, and so the guy went to his mother-in-law, and he asked her, "Why do you cut the ends off the roast?" She said the same reason. My mother told me, "Well." His grandmother-in-law was still alive, so he had the chance to go ask her. And he said, why, why have you taught your daughter and your granddaughter to cut the ends off the roast? And she said, well, back then we had a small pan, and I needed the roast to fit in the pan. Hmm. You don't yep. even know why you're doing this stuff sometimes. And when you don't even know your institutional history, and you're relying on the way it's always been, it could be yep. the fact that you're doing things the way it's always been was in reaction to a situation that no longer exists. The fact is, the wife and the mother-in-law had a big enough pan. The grandmother-in-law didn't. So she cut yep. the ends of the roast so it fit. Other yep. than that, there was well, no I mean, reason to do it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we won't work with insane clients. And what I mean by that is right. the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and over again expecting different results. You know, if a, right. if a client isn't willing to allocate a little bit of their budget or a little bit of their time to try something new, we're probably not the firm for them. Um, you know, right. you know the whole scientific method or the lead, you know, which, you know, what we try to practice is, you know, the scientific method of marketing, which you could just call it the lean startup movement. Where you know we're trying, we're constantly evaluating and trying new things, trying to increase ROI. And that ROI could be in the sense of management and time. It could be in terms of advertising spend. It could be in time, terms of traffic. But constantly trying new things, I mean, heck, if we didn't try new things, we probably wouldn't have gone to the moon. We probably wouldn't be wanting to go to Mars. We'd probably still be in the Stone Age. But human beings have this drive to to explore 
strange new worlds and new civilizations <laughs> to boldly go <laughs> where no marketer has gone before. Has gone before. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just interesting, you know, and I think that you, you and I, you'll agree that, you know, I think that every single business owner and business should have a coach or a consultant yes. that is far enough away from the mundane day-to-day operations that they can see everything in a completely different light. Right. I know, and I know exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, and you know, sometimes what we do with consulting is we actually try in some areas to be a little bit on the outside looking in because that's our right. value is we see things that uh, other people don't see. Like with our, like say for instance with our three top clients, we don't attend the weekly meetings that they have with the team. The reason being is we don't want to be involved in the conversation that the team is having. Our role is to help the team solve their problems. If we're seeing the same thing that the team is seeing, we're going to be looking at their problems through the same prism they are, which is why a lot right. of times they come, the team will come to us with this real head-scratcher of an issue, and I'll say, well, that's, duh, that's the reason why is because of this. Well, you know, it's interesting it's you bring because, up – Because the, I wasn't exposed, yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting you bring up this whole concept of teams um, because, you know, one of the things that I, I got turned on to um, by my partner, Mike, was uh, the Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish, who right. then wrote a book um, called Scaling Up, which is kind of version 2.0 of Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. You know, and it talks about having a meeting rhythm. And a lot of the firms and businesses that I've worked for or have worked with in the past are anti-meeting um, because, you know, it's just a time suck. And you know what? A lot of meetings are because I'm – from my personal experience, because they aren't structured in a way to achieve a common goal. And so one of the things that we've done and we work with our clients trying to do is to create this meeting rhythm where, you know, we're having a five-minute phone call every single morning and and just like, hey, this is, this is what I'm working on today and here's a problem that I'm having. You know, just in and out. And then, you know, we'll get together on like a, for about an hour every week, just kind of to strategize and huddle and go over a couple things. You know, about monthly we'll get together and spend a whole day to kind of strategize, you know, and then quarterly we'll get away for the weekend and kind of like really kind of think big picture and long-term strategy and, and kind of fellowship and, and tackle big problems. Um, but those meeting rhythms have allowed us to increase our effectiveness and our efficiency so much more because – you know, as an organization gets larger and larger and larger, the more communication problems you have. And so by having right. these meetings, just short check-ins, everybody's been able to be on the exact same page the majority of the time. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and, I, and, I lo- and I love what I do with uh, our top clients is, and I try and stack them all up on Mondays. Uh, every client gets a one-on-one with me, and I try and do them all on Mondays. So I just, I just do call after call after call after call. So it gets me some no-call days, which is great for productivity. And right. the idea is uh, this way we go over anything that's urgent, anything that's non-urgent. Uh, this cuts back on the back-and-forth phone calls during the week, and it makes sure that we check in with each other every week so neither of us is coming to the plate empty-handed. Right, right. Very, well, you know, and I very, very important. Well, and also, you know, there's invariably, no matter if you're working with people, you're going to have people problems. And one of the biggest people problems that I've experienced is, well, I thought you meant this. Or, oh, I didn't realize that uh-huh. was due. You know, and so by creating the, a meeting rhythm with a client or internally and saying, okay, so I hear you saying you're going to be accountable for this. You know, and then doing and sending it, taking five extra minutes to recap and send an email out to everybody, saying this is what everybody's tasks are, or or, or hurdles are, and who's responsible. It for some transparent accountability, which is also important within an organization. Yeah, another thing I another thing I discover is how projects tend to get stuck, or it seems like oh, we were going to be done with that two months ago, so why are we still just getting started? I find that there are two things that tend to play into that. One is 
you just don't pay much attention to it. So naturally, all the things that are actual urgencies are going to keep kicking it to the back burner. That's just the way it is. So the way you solve that is you pay regular attention to it. So you touch base on it every week. And, uh, and, when, I, and when I hear things from people in management positions like, well, I, I don't have time to give you feedback. I need you to keep presenting things so you find something I like. Uh, somebody comes to me with that, I say, sorry, I'm not going to be presenting you anything because I'm not just going to throw pasta at the wall. Or if, uh, or if I hear something along the lines of, well, I don't have time to be involved in this. I expect to not have to be bothered with this at all. And we're talking about a high-level strategic thing. Uh, you don't outsource your high-level strategy. You're not involved in that then your people aren't going to be real involved with you either, and then you're going to wonder why your organization stagnates. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, most organizations don't focus on, um, oh, not quartile, um, quadrant two areas. You know, Stephen Covey wrote a great book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and come, came out with the eighth habit. And one of the habits of, of the seven habits is uh, first things first. You know, in quadrant right. two you know, are, are aspects of your business that are not urgent but very important. You know, most of, most businesses are focusing on urgent and important areas, which are like crises and stuff, as opposed to yeah. being more proactive and providing and fo being focusing on preventative aspects of their business. Um, right. And, you know, I don't want to be working forever in a day putting out fires. I want to be ahead and preventing them. You know, it's part part exactly. of the problem with modern medicine, you know, and healthcare is that they're so focused on, you know, fixing existing issues rather than preventing future ones. Right. Yeah, that 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 is absolutely correct. So uh, shifting gears here a little bit because we only have about 15 minutes left. This thing is really flying, and I want to make sure we actually spell out these uh, five keys to success. I want to shift gears a little bit from marketing to advertising. This is something that you and I touched upon that I think will be great for our listeners. We see so many companies that depend on paid advertising and paid public relations. Now, Kirk, why is this a short-sighted strategy? In fact, indeed, why is this almost the same as having no real marketing or advertising strategy at all? Well, that's a very, very good question. Um, so it's been my experience that you should net an organization that's focused solely on paid advertising or um, you know advertorial content where you're paying for you know exposure that way. Um, you're always going to uh -huh. have to pay for it. Ninety right. percent of the businesses that I've worked with, um, that is not the best strategy for them. Um, conversely, right. a pure organic strategy. It's been my experience that I lose those clients time and time again. And the main reason being right. is that they don't understand that that is a long-term strategy. Um, so, you know, you can kind of think of it as, you know, organic content, month one, you might get one visit. Month two, you might get two. Month three, you might get three. Month four, you might get four, you know, and so on and so forth. And it'll slowly grow the more optimized content you create. Now, paid advertising strategy, you might spend $10,000 and get 10,000 visits to your website. Um, that's great. And with a conversion, with a good conversion rate, you're going to retain and get some of those clients. The problem is if you don't have a business model that is recurring, you're going to constantly have to pay $10,000 a month to get more business. So, I mean, a paid advertising strategy isn't really, really a good way to throw all of your, you shouldn't throw all your eggs in that one basket. So one of the things that I like right. to do with our clients is kind of have a blended um, hybrid strategy where, you know, we're going to start off with some paid and we're going to do some organic. And then as the organic increases, we're going to decrease the paid. The amount of conversions, the amount of business you generate will remain the same. And then if you really want to crank out a whole bunch of work one month, then you, you crank out the paid, get a whole bunch of work in, take it care of, Get, take a, get it taken care of, and then spend the next month, you know, traveling and relaxing in the Bahamas. Um, right. But, you know, focusing on one and not the other is kind of, uh, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You know, we had one client um, that was a construction firm, and all of their leads they bought. And now wow. they, 
are they are they 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 cannot they have to buy leads in order to get new business um because their business model um you know it's one and done and so they didn't spend any time and they're wondering why are you know again looking at cash um and looking at strategy and execution you know now they're 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 kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place so now they're having to reevaluate their business and their marketing strategy um so that way they don't have to shell, shell out you know 10 to 20 grand every single month to get leads right yeah and uh and you know if you find yourself in those situations where for instance you bought all the leads and then you don't have a lead generation strategy that's only going to survive as long as you have money to keep buying leads the leads aren't right. just going to like stay good forever I mean, I mean, you 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 have you have that you have that going on, and then uh, you know as I as I see what happens is, and this is something you and I discussed, and I love this analogy. If as far as your paid advertising, your paid spending on marketing and public relations, you should have an organic vehicle already going. So when you're doing a launch or you get some media exposure or something like that, you can put some money in like you're pressing on the gas and activating the turbocharger. I wrote a blog post on this, and I call it Grand National Marketing. Because you think of the Buick Grand National and how you uh, pushed on the gas, you kicked on that turbocharger to get your boost when you really needed it. Right. And also, you know, I think that a lot of, you know, with this this particular client, you know, one of the other things that they they didn't necessarily do um, was when they got a new client and they completed a project, to, you know, uh-huh. offering to throw a party and pay for it to invite all their friends and family over to say, "Here's our new kitchen." You know, you gotta you gotta look at if you, you do some Google searches for the listeners out there on you know customer life cycle. You know, and at the at the tail end of that customer life cycle is you know asking for referrals and reviews. And, you know, that's one of the things that's often overlooked because, you know what, if you pay for, say, a 1000 bucks for a lead and you can complete the job and you have a positive ROI and then you get five more leads based off of referrals, well, now your cost per lead just decreased. Your cost per acquisition just decreased because you're actually repurposing right. that lead to get more leads. And that's something that's really, really simple um, in concept that's often overlooked. And if you invest the time to automate that process as much as possible, you know, you're going to create even more profitability for your business. Right. Yeah, very true. So uh, what I'd like to do now is, um, man, this interview is going quick. I love this. Uh, let's talk about teams for a few minutes. And I made reference to outsourcing and things like that earlier. Uh Organizations talk about team building, team cohesion, uh, team alignment, team this, team that. Why does it seem like the teams in the organization seem to be on different pages so much of the time? Well, you know, I think it kind of goes back to what we've been we were talking about a little earlier. At least in my experience, is you know everybody is is everybody is moving. Uh, you know, to use a Franklin Covey analogy, everybody's climbing the ladder. But everybody's ladder isn't right. isn't leaning against the right or same wall, you know. I think that going right. back to that that meeting rhythm and having that rhythm, you know, having a daily check in and a weekly kind of strategy meeting and quarterly and monthly, you know, allows everybody to be on the same page. And I think for millennials, right. I think one of the things that we also want to hear is not just what to do, but what is the purpose behind what we are doing. Um, right. You know, I think that too many people, hey, this is the way we've done it for the entire time and just keep on doing it, or I just need you to do this. Well, you know, millennials and business people typically are kind of smart, um, at least if you have the right people in the right bus and in the right seats. And if you tell them why, you're going to kind of empower them a little bit more. So focus. my experience has been the people I've worked with or worked underneath me when I tell them why we're doing something and kind of leave up the leave the how up to them, um, they come up with better things than I have thought of. Right. So that's very true. Um, and all right. So uh, yeah, and, and in my experience, that's also 
Uh, another thing I see is if you want your team to be in alignment, when your team members produce something, don't let it bottleneck. Don't let it get mm. stuck. And make sure you actually give feedback and use it. Because the reality is, no matter whether you have employees, whether you have contractors who have five other clients, or you have a contractor where you're the exclusive client, no matter what it is, they have other stuff coming at them in their life. And as human beings, our natural inclination is to respond to two things, that which is urgent and that which gets feedback and has action happen after our action. So if I'm submitting, let's, like, let's say I rush to write a bunch of articles uh, to get them in by Thursday because I was told Thursday is the deadline. And then crickets, 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 month later, nothing. And then I get told, mm-hmm. well, we don't have time to look at that or whatever. Do you really think I'm going to take those deadlines much more seriously? Or do you think I'm going to be more focused on clients and opportunities where I submit my stuff, and before I even have time to blink, it's already being implemented? Yep. Yep. Well, that, and, it's and that, it's and pretty that, obvious where my energy is going to go. Right. Well, I mean, and I think that comes back to, you know, the the execution. Um you know, there's there's some businesses that really do great in strategy but lack in execution. And conversely, there's some that, that just rock in execution but lack the strategy. Um, right. You know, and that's been kind of my experience, and it sounds like that's yours too. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. And I think that that's the disconnect that we find, which is why things don't get done like we expect them to. So, uh, right. you know, building off of this, and you were talking about sustainability, as I think what we're leading towards here is an organization sustains its own energy and its own power of inertia. So if you have things moving forward, the, the organization will sustain the inertia to keep things moving forward. So what are the steps to, in your experience, creating a self-sustaining, highly profitable organization just in general? You know, that's uh, – I mean, let me – ooh. That's a real tough question because I don't think – I think I would be doing any listener a disservice by saying that this this is the solution. Um, I think every single business has its own unique um, journey that it needs to take in order to be successful, and, and I think it's different from, for every single one. Um, I think one of the – in my experience, you know, what I've learned – through my business experience as well as working, you know, here with Mike here at Venture Catalyst, you know, is people, execution, strategy, and cash, and knowing those inside and out is really, really important. Um, you know, I've seen greater success with our firm by pr- practicing those four principles um, than other firms I've worked with or other businesses I've started. Also, having a, a good meeting rhythm, um, which kind of ties into all of those. And I think having a good coach, I think, is of paramount importance. Um, somebody that not only has not only has the skills necessary, but also is in line with the culture of the organization. Um, you know, when I had the firm that ended up getting the patent, I had a great board of directors. Um, problem was some, some of them were in line with the culture, and others were had the skill set for the position they were in but very few filled both. And I think you need to have both in order to be successful, um, which kind of ties into the team I agree. aspect. What about you, bud? I agree. Uh, you know, when I look at that question, and, and again, you're one of the very few guests that actually makes me answer my own questions. I really love this, and I hope that not too many other people get the same idea, but this is fun. Um, if you want to create a self-sustaining, highly profitable organization, whether it's a solopreneur with one assistant, whether it's a small to medium-sized business, whether it's an international conglomerate, whatever it is, I think that there's really just a couple things that you need to do, and everything will emanate from these things. Uh, the first is we all need to be clear on what the intersection of brilliance and passion is. I talk about the intersection of brilliance and passion because, to me, that is where you're going to find the energy that's going to move your business forward and allow you to give to the world. The second is, and we covered this in our interview uh, here today, is we want to make sure that we have a culture that looks forward. 
And that means a couple things. First of all, we don't focus on the way it's always been, because as far as we're concerned, the way we've always done things means nothing more than somehow we manage to survive despite doing it that way. Another piece of culture is the ability to say three words, up until now. Up until now, it has been the case that we have failed to execute on our strategic imperatives and our revenues have taken a hit as a result. Starting at this moment, we claim our decision and our choice to engage in smart marketing strategies and business strategies that are going to move us forward to where we need to be at the intersection of our brilliance and passion. In other words, we don't spend time on apologizing and self-criticism and blame or anything like that. What we do is we say, what happened? Where do we draw the line? And where do we move forward? Because really and I nobody wants other... to sit there and have respite in them where they screwed up because that makes them even less likely to want to participate in the solution. And I think the other three-word sentence that I, I want everybody on my team to have, which I think is important to be successful, is people that have no problem saying, I need help. Oh, I love that. I or, need help. I don't know. That is something that, and I want to spend just 30 seconds on this. Um, being highly introverted myself, believe it or not, I do not do well with being put on the spot in the middle of something where I haven't had time to repair or it's a completely new issue that springs at me. And when I find myself feeling like I'm being put on the spot, it becomes kind of uncomfortable for me. Now, over the years, I've become very comfortable saying, I don't know. I have to I have to research this or I don't know. I have to visit this and get back to you and that and that just has to be an acceptable answer because I mean if you want me to just make something up on the spot I'll tell you the moon is square or whatever you want to hear. Or I'll just <laughs> yeah. say yeah, you're absolutely right whether I even know what you're referring to. Uh, right. So I I love that. I don't know. I need to get back to you something like that. Uh I think that when you have the type of culture where people are willing to own their humanity, as we discussed at the very beginning of our interview, funny how things kind of circle around. They're willing to yep. own their humanity, and the fact that they're just people like everybody else, that can move an organization forward. Well, you know what? Um, one thing I want to just real quick, one of the things that we've kind of instituted um, – is and I, and I stole this from another business, was that at, at our big meetings every week, we go around the room and share where we drop the ball. Uh-huh. We say, I like hey, that. I screwed up here. Um, you know, so that's one of the things, and what it does is it takes the power out of making mistakes and allows for people, it allows people the opportunity to actually get help and be of service wow. to their businesses uh, or uh, their That's employees. Something. And it takes the power out of it because I want people to say, hey, I draw, hey, I screwed up, here's how, and then tell me what they're going to do differently rather than me having to say, hey, how, why did this happen this way? Wow. That's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Fantastic. That's something I'm going to have to implement. Uh, so what you're saying is go around the room and say, I, you know, and tell people where they dropped the ball. Share that with the team. Yep. I love it. Beautiful. Yeah. So, and you don't tell them, they tell you. And that's what's even better. So, you know, hey, I screwed up by doing X, and this is what I should have done instead, and this is what I learned from yeah. it. Now, everybody in the group has an opportunity to learn from your mistake so it doesn't happen again, and you have an opportunity to, you know, take the power out of making mistakes because, you know what, an organization should be willing to take risks and make mistakes. Right. To wrap up, what are the four critical decisions or key factors facing organizations today? I think that, for me, the four big sections that businesses need to focus on are people, strategy, execution, and cash. And you know what, the, the, right. those four things kind of encompass dang near everything. And then just to recap, you know, ask for help. And share where you make a mistake. I love that. So anybody sitting on the edge of their seat and wants to engage with Kirk, uh, how can you serve and how do they do it? Well, um, you can reach out, reach me on pretty much almost any social media platform. I'm on Twitter at Kirk Holmes. Right. 
Um, our company's website is VentureCatalysts.us, um, and my email address is Kirk at VentureCatalysts.us. You can also uh, reach me personally at KirkHolmes.me and at uh, Kirk wow. at KirkHolmes.me. Pretty accessible guy. Fantastic. Well, Kirk Holmes, uh, Captain Kirk, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor, an education, and an inspiration. Well, I look forward to many more cigars with you, my good friend. All right. And and, uh, I'm going to hold you to that. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.